Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flummer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the new daily podcast in which we throw open the curtain to reveal the film being John Malkovich one minute at a time. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and about to join me in this nameless place are my guests for the week from the Bat Minute podcast, John Van Parker and Niall McGowan. Oh, that was perfect. Welcome. That was amazing. <laughs> That's made my life. <laughs> that was uh I did forget to explain the the, the shtick before we got No, that's even better. In. That, oh that was that was you two being uh, sucked into this uh, to this nameless place. I felt like one of the characters in the movie. Yeah. I was wondering now what's it going to be like for the listener because it's just like yes, yeah, like they're hearing other people's voices in their head. So it is kind of mm. like the like if you imagine the someone if someone's ordering towels at the same time as listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful blend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so introductions. Uh, John, I'll start with you. So yes, hi, I am John. Uh, I am from the Bat Minutes podcast, as mentioned, with, with Niall here, my co-host. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you can find our show all over the interwebs if you just look up Bat Minute. There aren't any others. <laughs> There's people doing other Batman movies, but not our mm. one. Because you're doing the, the big four. Yeah. <laughs> we, as of recording, we are about to start our fourth season. Uh, mm, so Batman yeah. and Robin. Mm. Um, well, I mean, it might be, might have started by the time this comes out, actually. Probably yeah, will. Yeah, depends. Yeah, it'll be probably like around June or thereabout it'll be coming out. So, yeah, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe soon. Maybe soon. So check that out. And uh, I don't know, if you, uh, if you want to hear more of me, you're not sick of me. I have another show about the movie Hedvig and the Angry Inch, which is a weird, queer rock musical. <laughs> so right. you can uh, check that out too. And that's completed, is it? That's completed. It's called uh, Hedvig Inch by Angry Inch. I forgot to mention that fact. Inch by Angry yeah. Inch. That's a great name. It is Good completed. Stuff. I finished the, the finale where we had Hedvig herself on, John Cameron Mitchell. Oh, wow. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm going to do random bonus episodes from, from time to time. So keep that feed. Mm, I'm planning one as we speak. Excellent, excellent. And Niall? Uh, yeah, I'm Niall McGowan, uh, and I'm also one of the, the, the people behind the, the Batman. It's, but it's like everything, everything John said. kind of took said. all your Batman stuff there, didn't <laughs> yeah, they? Yeah, like, that, that's, that, yeah, that's just like, I don't have a second show because I've just spent yeah. so much time doing that show. That yeah, I'm you like, do well, all our editing, so you're, <laughs> yeah, you're so I was like, Yeah, it's like, well, this is me. <laughs> but uh, but, but yeah, you could, yeah. You could plug the social media. Um, I could if I could have had any. Well, the Bat Minute on Twitter, the Bat Minute on Instagram, maybe hey. I think so. And that's it. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Bat Minute listeners cave on uh, Facebook. Uh, it should hopefully have its name back. It is not currently called that, <laughs> but that's a that's a tale for another time. Oh wow, there is a story behind that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today we're talking about minute one of being John Malkovich. Minute one starts with the Universal logo and ends one minute later with an interrupted face reveal of the Craig puppet. Mm, that's uh, as, as we were briefly saying there in the green room, unex- yeah. unexpected treat for me and John because we've done like four <laughs> seasons now where we had to open like, oh, here's the Warner Brothers logo again. Mm. Jeez Louise, this thing. And I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about a different logo for once. It's like, <laughs> I've never, 
uh, any other guesting appearances has always been like, oh, you're mid-movie. So now they actually have the deal with like, oh, the Universal logo. The Universal logo. It is a thing of mediocrity. Oh, I like No, it's fine. It's fine. It's just. I have to say, like, I don't mind. Like, I do have a favorite Universal logo, and it is not this one. This is my least favorite of the Universal logos. You like that mad flat 80s one with the layering and stuff? I like that. Mm. I see a lot of that. I do like that. I I think my favorite is, and again, it's it's entirely because of like the era I grew up in. But I do like the '90s version where you would have got like, I think they started it with Back to the Future Three, but it was just that one. It wasn't even. It looks like it was CGI, but it's actually like a model. Like the oh right, but it's uh, it's just it's just you know kind of more real realistic colors and whatnot. I'd say this looks this looks very early two thousands. This one. <laughs> This it one's <laughs> yeah, cause it's so yeah. garishly CGI and it's so like it's too bright. Yeah, and it's it looks really it looks like something you would have got on like a you know Windows ninety five or something or maybe mm. like it, it just looks so of the era that it, it, it's got it. Yeah, I I I I'm gonna go with XP. I think it's more of an XP <laughs> vibe, uh, but it's it's yeah. I mean, this film is 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 that. Uh, released in 1999 but over here in the uk and ireland block that we're all in i think um it was released on saint patrick's day 2000 so i didn't see it until then uh in in the cinema what what about uh what about you two well i saw it it probably would have been 2000 it wouldn't have been any later than 2001 um but it wasn't in the cinema i was living in pakistan and I bought it on uh, a dodgy VHS. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was my first experience. I think my friend just told me, you're going to love this. It's weird. It's weird. Watch mm. this. And um, and it was weird in the best possible way. It was probably an early introduction to this type of movie for me, like a like a strange... Is there a this type of movie? Well, yeah. Like, what do you call it? Because <laughs> it's got like the feel of like an indie film. But as we've yeah. discussed, it's universal. Sort of. Well, I mean, it's it's, like... <laughs> it's distributed by Universal, um, but it it was very much made as an independent film. Mm. I think they had a distribution deal before they, you know, entered principal photography and stuff. But it's very much done on a you know small enough budget, yeah. small enough crew. They have like almost like nearly ten odd years of going from studio to studio, and every, all the executives looking at the script, going like, "Oh yeah, this is interesting." No one's gonna make that though. Like it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that long. It was. Um, it was the script was doing the rounds for a couple of years, all right. Um, but the script is insane, and it was written as a. I mean, this. When I say it's insane, I mean, like it's it's more insane than the movie. Oh my god! By by a considerable margin. Um, but it was doing the rounds as a spec script. The idea was Charlie Kaufman just wrote it in kind of very much in one go and he wanted to uh, just shop it around. And really, he's shopping around him. He's, yeah. he's, he's, uh, he's selling himself as, here, I can write a screenplay and I can come up with crazy ideas. And he, he was a TV comedy writer and he wanted to move into the big time. And um, yeah, the script got passed around and it eventually got in the hands of um, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh. And he was, at the time, supposed to be developing a version of Pinocchio. 
So <laughs> the the puppeteer Philip Huber, also on spec, sent Francis Ford Coppola a um a VHS of some of his puppetry work, and then uh, I think it was Coppola that put two and two together. So he talked to his son-in-law, who at the time was Spike Jones, mm. and said, "You might be interested in this script." And when Spike Jones started really getting into it, he it's speculation here, but I, we're, we're pretty sure that he then would have given the VHS tape of Philip Huber's puppetry to Spike Jones as well. And that's what opened the door for the puppetry side of things. Ah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I've done a bit of homework, you know, yeah. but uh, that's all but this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then the process from there was that they had to get John Malkovich on board. And Malkovich read it, liked it, and liked the idea. But <laughs> there was one stage where Malkovich was like, I want to do it, but I don't want to be in it. I want to direct it. Oh, oh. Yeah. Like, at the very <laughs> least, you could imagine, I want to be in it and direct it. You'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't interested. And, and his reasons were kind of understandable. He was just like, I don't want to make a big thing about me. It seems very egotistical. And it would kind of, yeah, just draw so much attention. Um, mm. It's one of those things like if it, if it, you know, if it if it bombs spectacularly, it's considered to be a complete failure too. Not only is his face all over it, his name is in the title as well. Yeah, so exactly. Like, yeah. It was a big risk for him, no matter what. And when it was going back and forth, um, we're like, we're glad you like it, but you're not directing it. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to be in it, it probably won't get made. <laughs> because John Malkovich was pitching a couple of other people that it could be being, you know. And so were other people. Uh, so were other, uh, like, producers and stuff on it. And people were throwing out, like... Tom Cruise and other crazy names for it. Ah, uh, they're too and big, though. This is what I exactly, like about Exactly, it's too big. And Kaufman, as far as I understand, it's hard to get all the, these details straight, uh, but but Charlie Kaufman and, and Spike Jones seem to have been in agreement that they would like to find an alternative that would work as well as, as John Malkovich, but none of the names fit. No, they won't. N nobody was at that exact right level of fame <laughs> And that exact kind of strange personality <laughs> that he has on screen, and just the the, it's so perfect. <laughs> it is, and weirdly, right? I watched this the first time, not knowing who he was. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, I, I think I came at this movie like almost on the opposite end of the spectrum to you, John, because like I this came out for me uh, when I was at my um, my teenage uh, film snobbery stage. Uh, <laughs> People listen to Batman, they might have heard me say that like there's a period of time I, I didn't I didn't even like Batman because I I was I was really into reading film magazines and stuff and really getting into like the classics mm -hmm. of cinema and stuff. We've all so, been, <laughs> yeah. But I was doing this at like when I was like twelve or thirteen years old, and so I was like I, you know I'll go and see these X Men films, but I won't give them the time of day. You know, that's <laughs> no, no. And uh, yeah, so I I knew about being John Malkovich. Well, actually, I knew who John Malkovich was because I'd seen Con Air because that came out when I was 10. 
And I, like I saw that, and I loved that. So I was like, oh, Cyrus Grissom. I know that guy. And to this day, he is still to me Cyrus Grissom. Like every time he says, like, oh, yeah, the, the, the Con Air guy. But um, because so of that, funny. though, I was always on the lookout for Like I'd already, at that stage, been watching like Twin Peaks and Existence and, you know, all these kind of like, you know, mm. like a, around the same time, like American Psycho and a lot of the, you know, the, yeah, the kind yeah. of great wave of uh, – American quote unquote independent sort of weird movies were coming out around the time, like I shot Andy Warhol and stuff like that. And um, I was just, uh, re- I read about it, it well in advance because it was, you know, it was featured a lot because it was such a bizarre pitch when it was coming down the pike. Yeah. It was just like, a, it really caught my attention because I was like, oh, yeah, this is the type of thing I want to see. Uh, and the thing is, because I grew up, you know, a small town in Ireland. It was not a chance in hell this was coming to the cinema. But I, I do remember I literally kind of like waiting for the video to come out. And then as soon as it became rentable, going down and instantly getting it uh, and then buying it then, you know, later on and stuff. But uh, it was it was like a heavily anticipated release for me. <laughs> because, Ooh, right. uh, because was, I think even that, though, because I was going in expecting it to be like, um, it's still, it's, it's surpassed and subverted expectations because I kind of thought it was going to be a really crazy, weird ride and that it is. But I remember being really struck. It's like, it's so melancholic as well. I kind of thought it was going yeah. to be much more zany. But the, mm. and now as that goes on, that melancholic aspect of it has become my favorite part of the whole movie because, well, that's very plenty- indicative of, of Charlie Kaufman in general because that's, He's now gone from being like, oh, the weird guy to like this really sad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a great blend of the two, isn't it? Because it, if it was just weird and silly and zany, that like you said, yeah. that it wouldn't still hold up. Yeah. Absolutely. But the zaniness is really key as well. Like I, I forget how you know until re- re-familiarizing myself with the film for this, I just like all that stuff about like. Floris not being able to hear you and and uh, like the Lester's weird perversions and stuff. It's really like comedy writer stuff. You know what I mean? Mm. It's really like here's some patter. Here's some. Yeah. A, a, and it's fantastic. And it's so well integrated into this film. But <laughs> anybody else would have taken that script and shot it like a. I don't know, like a, nowadays it would be kind of like put in the kind of Judd Apatow. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. kind yeah. of yeah. mold, yeah. And uh, it would be like loads of improv and there'd be four really funny bits in it and they'd all be in the trailer and you'd feel ripped off <laughs> when you went to see it. Actually, the, the characters, obviously, we won't go into too much detail because you're going to get to them, but the, the zany characters... I thought watching it this time, because I've seen it a million times now, but I watched it last night, yeah. you know, to, to be fresh. Uh, some of them, I thought, uh, had a kind of a, a vibe that they might be in Twin Peaks. Mm. That kind okay. of a thing. Like, uh, like you were saying with the, the secretary who you know, mishears everything. Oh, I thought yeah. that, that seems a bit like... Uh, you know, like, uh, like Nadine uh, with the with the drapes mm, and things, like, like quirky the, yeah, like little the, things. Yeah, like the mayor. Or, or, yeah. kind of or yeah. what you call uh, David Lynch's own character. Who yeah, Gordon Cole. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why yeah. I didn't think of that one first. <laughs> that kind of thing. Like, you could see them fitting in with that kind of uh, show or movie. David Lynch's sort of humor, but it's done mm, yes. in less, uh, a less creepy way in this. Yeah. So the yeah. whole thing really reminds me of... I'm, 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 I'd be surprised if it never made it into his hands. It really strikes me as something that Terry Gilliam would have made. Mm. It's it's got his like oh. that kind of like this a little bit of that Kafka Kafka esque corporate satire yeah. in there, yeah. 
And it's just got like, yeah, that it's got his kind of humor to me. And I can imagine that mm-hmm. he would go to town with like, well, how how would he visualize going inside somebody else's head and that kind of thing? Yeah, I can anything to do with like a portal and an entryway. I can think of Gilliam, mm. and he would he would probably have leaned more into the. Um, the business, the JM Incorporated, <laughs> yeah. he would have made it. Because there's more stuff about that in the script. Ooh. There's like, you know, uh, brought to you in Malcovision is written on the side <laughs> of their van and stuff. Like it's, it, there's more. And there was, for marketing, for the viral marketing of the movie, there was a JM Inc. website. <gasps> and uh, it's still up on on uh, the Wayback <laughs> Machine. You can get to it. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And it's, um, it's done like a... Order now and get your, you know, it's done like a, a late night infomercial and it's perfectly horrible. I do have to say, every time I watch this movie, I do become re-obsessed with the, the, the video explaining the seven and a half floor business. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Oh. I absolutely love just the, just the delivery of that whole, like, what about you, girl child? <laughs> oh, like, my God. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, big, I see. Yeah. They've been gone with you, you failed demon. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's, so, it's so different from the rest of the movie. That that does feel very much like a sketch. Like, that's it the, is, the it is. And, sketch. like, the fact that on the, I don't know if you were on DVD or VHS in your own collection, but the fact that on the DVD, you could separately access the full <gasps> two films in it you could access the seven and a half floor of the merton flimmer building and the uh what's it called american arts and culture documentary oh my god um now now they're both almost all in the film there's only a tiny bit extra but it's just watching them as like <laughs> crazy bits of of you know of uh, like like the seven and a half floor one is funnier it's more uh, sketchy um but yeah the other one has has great moments as well well that's proof all of this is proof that um they made the right call with it being john malkovich with it being john malkovich um, because you know niall came to it from a a certain angle i came to it from the complete opposite angle Mm. and we both love and appreciate it Mm. Like, because I, after this, was like, oh, who was that wacky character that they made up for this movie? <laughs> it's like, oh, he's yeah, a real guy. Yeah. What the hell? And that <laughs> led me down a rabbit hole to then, you know, watch a bunch of his stuff and then come back to it, watch it again no, and yeah, be like, yeah. oh, it's even better than I thought it was. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Because it, it has, when you're talking about coming at it from different angles, it has so many angles. And that's the thing that, like, I was talking to one person who's going to be on the show I mentioned the puppetry and she went, oh yeah, there's puppets in it. <laughs> and, and I, and I was like, I, I can, I can very much understand why you'd forget. I mean, the puppetry kind of spoke to me, so I didn't forget about it, but there's so many different elements. It shouldn't work. It's, it's, it's got all these different things. Like the, mm. the element that I completely forgot about was that the chimpanzee has his own story. Arc. Yeah, yeah, I forgot that too. And and a flashback to his memories of being captured and it's like it's so it's so good and it's so genuinely moving. It's going to kind of the the a minute this week kind of sets up um a little making that kind of a joke almost the fact that like mm. at one point that monkey's told like you don't have a consciousness. You're like, you know, it'd be yeah. easier being a monkey and then find out later on. No, he to- he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's been through. He's, he's seen it. some. He's seen some stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, instantly, I think you know straight away in this, you're thinking, "What the hell am I watching?" Just just yeah. the fact that you're watching this movie, and then all of a sudden, there's like a very serious puppet show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like what? It's just one of those things too. Like actually, they the go in with what you were saying, John, as well. Like the. 
in, and again, it could be most likely completely coincidental, but I, I do wonder any sign of blue curtains to me, particularly blue curtains opening a movie. I yeah. think of blue velvet because yeah. it's like, oh, that's, mm. that's the opening shot of that as well. And it wouldn't be, like, I'm certain that Spike Jones is a, you know, the type who'd be like, oh, of course I love blue velvet. So, if, you know, he had yeah. a, a myriad, a whole spectrum of colors he could have chosen to mm-hmm. make these curtains, but it chose blue. So I do wonder if it was a little nod in, in any Well, manner. and also there is the, there is, um, you know, multiple theories about every David Lynch movie, but Blue Velvet about, you know, um, Carl McLaughlin's character. I can't remember the character's name. About oh, like, Jeffrey Beaumont. Yeah, like, is it is it real? <laughs> is it happening? You know, what's going on? Is it in his head? Mm. So it made me think a little bit about this because it's like, well, yeah. they are literally going into a mind. <laughs> That's right, right? Too. He's a, you know, he is a voyeur. That's the whole mm. thing. He's constantly watching Dorothy's life through little slats and you know that's when he first yeah. meets her he's watching her through little slats in, his, in her wardrobe much like these people seeing John Malkovich's life through the, the you know the uh, you know that visual go on stretch his head and stuff <laughs> even just that little yeah. fact too like no, you no, know, no. Her, her, Isabella Rossellini's life mat is like essentially being controlled by Dennis Hopper like you know he's puppeteering her in a weird yeah, way yeah. So again it's you can tie it in that in that manner too wow okay now that's a fan theory we need to uh, flesh out. <laughs> so I, I, I just love it just in terms of as well though the fact like it starts off in a very just, you know because again Spike Jones the guy knows what he's doing. I mm. can't help but feel like there's just little aspects like it opens with you know get, you're getting the vision of blue but it's a very dark subdued blue and it's very tight and constricted yes. in a controlled environment where Craig is in control of everything and it ends in yeah. a kind of bright like open space you know pool. But it's very bright blue, and you see a figure that Craig cannot control at all, and it's the exact opposite, the you know, mm. kind of to the opening of the movie. And it's like okay, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, can't help but feel it's like it seems like it's that could, it's, that could be intentional, but mm. yeah, not to very spoil any We've minutes had... you'll be getting to in like 120 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh Lord knows. Okay, back to the minute. Back to the minute, folks. <laughs> we hear over the USA Films logo, we hear orchestra tuning up sounds. And I don't know about you, but that sound for me is a very, it's, it's a good one. It's, uh, uh, that's full of romantic promise. And, yeah. uh, and it's added. It's not from the, the Bartok recording. And the applause is added. So we're showing Craig's. It may be the intention is that he found this recording with the, that was live and it had the um, tuning up and the applause, but I think he edited <gasps> that together and to give himself applause at the end, you know? Oh, I love that idea because I just thought the same. I thought, oh, it's a live recording, but oh my God. Yeah, no, that makes it because even also, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there wouldn't be a live recording of just this section because this is a whole movement that this is taken from. Oh. And but this is only one segment of that that uh, Allegro movement from uh, from this Bartok piece. So it's so he yeah he had to put it together. Oh my god, <laughs> that's pathetic, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like I love how you're going to discover this, listeners. He's he's quite a sad man. I don't you don't hate him, but you instantly know. Mm, yeah. In the in the I, coming minutes, there's there's something off about him. 
Mm. I kind of hate him. Oh, I, think, I, I think he is. He's one of the most unlikable characters yes. <laughs> in, in any movie, I would say. I, I can't hate him. I don't know. I feel sorry for him more than anything. I, I don't hate him like uh, at the start. I can kind of identify oh, with spirals. him. And, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like uh, nobody comes out too well out of this movie. No, no one. Not one um, character except yeah. maybe. Maybe John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah, I maybe. Was, I don't know, maybe now I was the only one. I thought like I was totally on Lottie's side for the most part. I was like, oh yeah, she's. I don't know, you know, maybe. No, Lottie. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm. Lottie joined a group of people who want to permanently take over a man's body yep. so they can live forever. Yeah, but come on, that's only Lottie for a is... little eternity. That's that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> she she's not a saint either. I think you're going to discover that as well as you go through. Oh yeah. If you go through uh if you join me on my journey through these <laughs> minutes, dear listener, dear guest, you will uh, like yeah, I I dare you <laughs> to be on Lottie's side after uh, after the end of the season. <laughs> I will say though that like um I cannot to leak into anything that you will obviously be talking about way way down the line, but like as much as I do dislike Craig and I think like he does get a comeuppance his yeah. end comeuppance is like I, that actually horrified me when I was that actually very very disturbed me as a kid that's oh, what yeah. happened to yes. him at the end because that's really, like, something about that that concept of like having bodily autonomy completely robbed of you basically and like, yes and even all the stuff like, like, they kind of played a bit for laughs in this when like Malkovich trying to get back in control and stuff but it's like that to me is terrifying <laughs> yeah it is terrifying We're listening to uh, the opening few bars of Bartok's Allegro from Music for Strings and Percussion and Celeste. SZ106, if you're interested, is a piece from 1936, and uh, this one is performed in 1995 by the Cleveland Orchestra. They were having a bit of trouble getting the rights of this particular recording, and uh, thankfully they got it. This is the recording that all of the puppetry work was done for and set to and everything, so it would have been a real shame had they not got it. What would they have done? Changed the puppetry? Did they have a backup plan? Well, they would have just gotten something with the same kind of, well, an allegro, <laughs> something that had the same yeah. uh, pace. It's just going to be stick uh, on Casey in the Sunshine Band. <laughs> it's like, you know, it actually does work. It syncs up to the movements pretty well. It cuts really well. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like something a student would do for their university project. Like, I'm going yeah, to cut this yeah. to a pop song or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I'm going to be doing is uh, pointing out differences between the film as finished and a couple of drafts of the script i've got the first draft of the script which is the crazy one and we will be exploring this script in great detail (laughs) as the show goes on but the only difference to to mark out here in the first minute is that the the piece of music in question is vivaldi um it just says vivaldi is playing through cheap speakers while craig does his does his i love that addition of cheap speakers it's a, it's a yeah, nice little detail. Yeah. It tells you all you need to know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it is. And, and the, the kind of the movie magic cheat of making the music uh, that is diegetic, but they just play it, you know, straight through yeah. whatever speakers you're actually watching the movie through. And then as it comes to the end, you hear how tinny and crappy <laughs> the whole thing actually sounded to him. But uh, yeah, like Vivaldi would have been just such a boring generic choice. Yeah. and 
this Bela Bartok is so modern and weird and kind of uh, film score influencing and that mm-hmm. kind of. I should not the not the piece playing here, but I think of another segment of this music is in The Shining. You've done like your homework uh, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you wanted to mention that this minute or save it for because we got a couple. I of minutes have it in my notes. Here, yeah, the the third. This is the second movement we're hearing here, and the third movement, the adagio, is used in The Shining. And uh, do you know the scene? Yeah, it's uh, Danny approaching room 237. Oh. Uh, when he's going around and then he, um, he stops. And it's that... Amazing. That's the one. Yeah, he goes up and he's about to touch touch the door and then he decides and runs off. I think another bit of it's used um, when he's talking to Jack in the bedroom. He comes in and Ooh. he has that whole, like, you know, I never hurt you, Danny. Like, all that business. I think a little right. bit of it's used there as well. But, uh, yeah, like, I know the... the the soundtrack to the, the Shining, like the back of my hand. You know, like, The Shining, good. full stop, like the back of your hand. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's such, because the soundtrack, that movie's so good and it blends that like, anytime I'm reading any kind of creepy book or anything, it, mm. usually the soundtrack to The Shining will seep into my mind because it's so <laughs> goddamn well done. And, you know, it's just, the, you know, the fact that it's, I guess, both, you know, um, Wendy Carlos and classical music. Like it's like, oh, that, this is almost as if that Stanley Cooper guy knew what he was doing when he made it somehow. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I think that brings our first episode here to a conclusion. Now you're going to find yourselves spit out into a ditch on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to make it back for tomorrow. Hell yeah, I need to get in that, uh, I was going to say tunnel again. It is a tunnel, isn't it? I'm going down the it's tunnel. It's a tunnel of love. <laughs> and you, Niall? I think it's going to be a, a bit of a pain having to travel all the way back from the New Jersey Turnpike to Liverpool every day, but <laughs> I'll, I'm willing to give it a try. I'll, you know, let's see what happens. So I'm going to let you go. I will see you both tomorrow. I'll add in sound effects later. Uh, no, I like your version of the sound effect. I think that's better. <laughs>